Uncommon is a production by Neural, a full-service digital agency. If you want to grow with a premium agency and have the ability to work with Jordan directly, then learn more at neural.com slash media and request a callback. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E dot com slash media. My name is Jordan Michaelides and I'm the host of Uncommon, a show that asks the why on business, media, current affairs and sport. If you like this episode, do leave us a written review on your podcast app, particularly if you're on Apple Podcasts, as it does help the feed work out. If you like this sort of content, to find all previous guests, just head to morale.com slash uncommon. For the full video, you can search Uncommon Show on YouTube. For social, you can keep up to date with behind the scenes at uncommon underscore show on Instagram. But with all that being said, let's get into the episode. My guests this week, Alex Wadalton, uh, Wad Doctor, as I saw some comments on Mumbrella articles from six or seven years ago, uh, independent creative, co-author of The Right Brain Workout, co-creator of the Nikki Winmar statue that we all know. I'm a big fan of it. Um, obviously, St. Kilda supporter. The Future Landfill Project and former creative director at many agencies, including McCann, DDB, GPATS, YNR, Zoo Group, and The Shannon Company. Uh, I was trying to dig some dirt. Like I said before we got started, you're quite squeaky clean. Um, it was really, really interesting to find that old uh, article about, I think it was the GP YNR Sydney, uh, where you won the press line in Cannes for Wagon Wheels. Yep. And just looking at the comments was super interesting. Does the Wad Doctor still exist as a nickname? Uh, I sometimes get Wad Dog. Wad Dog? Wad Dog or... Um, Wado? Or I get my kids to call me Captain Awesome. I try to, it never works. It's not worked once. We'll get there. We'll get there. I get the Wad Doctor sometimes. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was, that was super interesting. Did, um, and as well with uh, Nono's most connected car, how did that go <laughs> with the sale? Uh, well, it sold really quickly, uh, yeah. so that was good, and it got uh, some press out of it. Well, mainly the idea behind that was uh, just to get people to, to stop and think that everything, like even the coffee that you're drinking now, that coffee cup has probably had, it's probably got 3,000 people's brains to deliver that to you to drink for us to ignore. <laughs> so it's just interesting how we're all so connected, like Kevin Bacon, all that sort of stuff. Just yeah. everything's pretty amazing if you stop and think about it, yeah. Do you... Um you know, you got to think about someone who is a bit of an ideas man in yourself. Uh, there, there must be sort of like an inherent ability that you may have noticed as a kid. I was, I guess, I was curious. Like, is there an early memory you have as a kid being intrigued by ideas at all? Uh, not really. I mean, my dad is a creative director in advertising. Aha. Uh-huh. And, and I do remember, in like in year seven or eight or something. He got a he got a brief and he asked for my opinion and I came up with an idea and they actually presented it to the client <laughs> and it didn't get didn't get up but I was just like oh that wasn't that hard what, what was uh, the so brief it was for um, the uh, Australian road toll for something like that uh-huh. uh, it was about that so some laws around that I can't remember the specific around it but it was a social good type thing a governmental type thing and uh, yeah they presented the idea. Uh, I think it was, you know, what's that song? We're on the road to nowhere. Who's that by? Is it? 
I've forgotten who that's by, but that no was idea. the idea. It was like basically we're on the road to nowhere was, was kind of the idea behind it. And uh, yeah, they actually talked to the, to the, to the writer of the song and he was like, yeah, I'll do it for the amount of money, but uh, wow. the client didn't buy it. So yeah. <laughs> that must've been a proud dad moment for him. Yeah, probably. Did mm. uh, so, so you think on that basis that you were always sort of destined and it rubbed off you that you were going to go into media? Yeah. I just think something what's good about advertising, you can kind of just think of ideas all the time. It's in, and there's lots of them. It's always something new and people can see them because mm. it's, you know, it's kind of say sometimes it's, it's almost easy bit is coming up with the idea, but it's the making it, that's the hard bit. And that's the most exciting bit when you see it out in the world and people like it and stuff. So I've always kind of liked being able to hopefully affect people in a positive uh, manner. So, yeah. Was there any lessons like growing up that you sort of learned pr- principle wise from either of your parents? And it might've been something that they said directly or. No, I can't really, no, I can't really remember. It's probably just by osmosis. Yeah. I uh, just sort of, I've just always been interested in coming up with ideas, maybe not necessarily being a great artist or anything like that, but just, yeah, ideas are, are exciting. I think. Yeah. Did, did, what did you think you were going to be as a kid? Like, did you have like these uh, ideas of certain careers before? Yeah, you I was going to be this? a paleontologist because I love dinosaurs. Really? All the dinosaurs when you're a kid. <laughs> 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 then I was going to be full forward for, for Geelong. Okay. Uh, neither of those worked out, but, uh, but yeah, just sort of, I like, like a lot of people in advertising, you kind of just sort of half stumble into it. Like, you know, I, yeah. I sort of did okay in school, not amazing, but, um, then I was just sort of working in bars and nightclubs. I started a graphic design course and sort of didn't really get that jazzed about that. Then I started an arts course and again, sort of wasn't that excited about it. And then I just applied for an RMIT advertising course, a TAFE course. Uh-huh. So I did that for two years. I don't know yeah, if it right. still exists anymore. don't know. If, do we still do TAFE I feel, in I, Victoria? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for yeah. sure. I feel like... Yeah. Um, but whether they're like, it might be like creative writing now. Yeah. Yeah. I feel yeah. like it's maybe changed. So I did yeah. that for two years and that got me straight into the, the, uh, university, the second year of the university course on You're advertising, right. which was more specific to creative. Um, and I did that for about six months and I was just like, I'm not learning anything here. I'd rather just try and get a job. So I dropped out while everyone else finished the course. Um, I didn't get a job for ages because I was just working in nightclubs and bars and stuff. And I just basically kept knocking on people's doors and eventually someone opened the door and let me in. Yeah. What, what were the nightclubs of choice? Uh, milk bar. I was head busting milk at milk bar. bar nightclub. Does anyone <laughs> remember that? Above yeah. uh, the olive tree in South Melbourne. Oh my God. Yeah. Classic place. Yeah. So you, uh, we were talking about um, clubs with uh, not an, a former employee, like recently she was in like lockdown having come back from New Zealand. I was talking to her about like uh, the clubs that she heads to these days and uh, sort of revisiting things like boutique. I remember when boutique oh, yeah. was like the pinnacle, yep. the the pinnacle of nightclubbing uh, in Melbourne. All right. So you, you, you basically, you did high school at uh, Caulfield. Mm-hmm. So you went into this TAFE course. Yep. Explain to me how, so I've read here that, or at least on LinkedIn, which is always super handy, <laughs> yeah. is you finished in 97 
And I didn't write the year that you started at Adtown, but you spent four years there. Explain yep. that that time in between. Uh, in between uh, starting at Adtown? RMIT or- and, and starting at Adtown. Oh, well, yeah, that was, yeah, working in nightclubs. Yeah, that was basically being a busing and, and okay. uh, you know, doing stuff like that and working on my folio during the day yeah, um, and sort of trying to see people and then at night basically, yeah, working, serving. How did that time pe- come about? Uh, uh, me and the guy, uh, Ant Simmons, who's now a CD at Clemager, uh, he – we, we both dropped out at the same time and we thought, let's go get a job. <laughs> and so uh, we um, both sort of started knocking on doors and he basically, we were walking through the city one day and we saw a, an orange banner in uh, Little Collins Street that said Ad Town. And we went, it has ad in the title. Maybe it's an advertising agency. Let's go inside, basically. And we went, in, went inside and said, oh, we're young, creative people. Uh, would, would anyone here be interested in? hiring us basically um and that was we didn't we got names and numbers from um fish rutherford yeah uh, and ken gray Uh, they were the two cds there um and they said oh well maybe come and bring your folio in so we actually brought our folio in they said we haven't got anything going at the moment but you know we'll keep you in mind so which is what they always say and then months and months passed and went back to the course so he went and finished the course i stayed and didn't um and then one day I got a phone call from Ken Gray saying, oh, we want to hire you uh, yeah, as, right. an art dire- as an art director. And I said, oh, should I, should I get Ant to come in as well? And they're like, no, no, we're just interested in you. Um, yeah, so, right. yeah, that's so I got, that got given the gig uh, through that as an okay. art director on Brashes, wow. uh, the now defunct Brashes. But, uh, yeah, that was my first job, working on so, catalogs for Brashes. Art director, do you – what um – what skills did you have on that side? Because it sounded like most of what you were doing was on the, the copywriting side. Well, most of the stuff now I do, but I was, I'm always been, being able to sort of do a bit of everything. Like I can yeah. sort of, I can use all Photoshop and InDesign or well, Quack Express, Quack Express back then. But uh, <laughs> I've always been interested in, if you can't think visually as a copywriter, your stuff. So I can sort of do a bit of everything. So mm. um, I was just happy to get a job, but I knew I wanted to be a writer, um, yeah. but this is a good job. Good. It's really good actually working on retail because you have to work really fast and make quick decisions. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of good discipline. So yeah, I just think it's important to be able to do lots of things. Yeah. Well, it's it's really interesting if you go through your entire career up to now. I mean, there's so many different places you've worked in. I think the the commonality amongst all of it that you sort of emphasize is not the role per se, but the ideas that you came up with. Yep. You know, like some of these includes the works campaign. I knew that uh, big time, obviously being at in high school at office works. Uh, Wrigley's was another big one. The food, the food creatures campaign. The other one is that I noticed was dumb ways to die. I don't know if you came up with that or if you just worked on that campaign, but, on that. Yep. but yeah, that, that was the commonality amongst all of your career stuff. And I guess I was intrigued when, when did you realize you were good at it? How, how oh. long into this did you realize that you had the, the ability to craft good ideas? I don't know. I just think I just kept doing it and I didn't really think about it. I just was interested in just coming up with stuff. So I never really thought about it, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I haven't really actually thought about it when I thought I was good. Well, every time I get a brief, I'm think, oh, no, I'm going to get found 
out. So the old <laughs> imposter syndrome is alive and well. So uh, you've, but, you've never had like one of those moments at the end of a campaign when you're like, oh, that was good. I did good. Uh, no, not really. I just always, I mean, I've, that probably as you can tell from my LinkedIn profile as well, like I, I haven't really stayed in places for super long. I'm not, haven't been at a place for 10, 15 years, like some people probably because I just have a super short attention span, which is probably why I've, I'm interested in so lots of different things. And I've come up with ideas on lots of different, you know, angles and charities and things. Cause I've always trying to find what's the next thing to move on to. What's the next thing I can not know anything about that I can learn about. Cause it's, you know, as, as you say, as we always say, like if you, if you stop learning, then what's the point? I'm never want to be the smartest person in the room. I'm always out asking questions yeah. about new stuff, always interested in new stuff. And that's, that's, I think, that's also what's good about advertising. Like, like I, said, I, I was going to say, I think that's, that's definitely um, an industry mentality. I was trying to think of it the other day. Why do, what, why is the average uh, time at a company so low for people? Like I think I was reading it was like 18 months mm-hmm. or something like that. The average turnover. And it makes sense, particularly on the creative side, because creatives, you know, are less conscientious and more focused on ideas if that makes sense. And so the best ideas will attract them. Um, so if they, they're at a place and things become stale, then it makes sense. You would want to go find the next best ideas. Yeah. I think it's, if you keep getting the same brief over and over yeah. again, you pump, but I, I don't know if it's less conscientious because I often think that creatives people are the most deadline oriented, want to get things done, people going because they just want to make stuff and make it happen. And like I'm personally with me, I'm always just Every time I come up with an idea, I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. I'm so emotionally attached to it. And then like 99.9% of ideas, they completely go nowhere. You can just devastate it every time. I'm still devastated when something doesn't happen. Um, don't know why, but I always, but I'm always like, oh, I'll dust myself off. Let's come up with something even better next time. And, you know, it's always, yeah, trying to find that next challenge is always exciting. I'm, I remember having um, a conversation actually with the former guest, Ethan. Uh, who now runs July Luggage. And he came from the advertising game and he said that the thing that really pushed him out of it was actually the fact, what, what you just mentioned before, when you would pitch these ideas and you've invested all this time and emotion into it and they don't get through with the client or you don't win the opportunity, the retainer, the job, the project, whatever it may be. Um, but like I, I almost was not then at the time, but I thought in my head, like the argument against that is that that's what allows you to pitch those ideas is the passion. Yep. So have you ever felt like a, uh, I don't know what it is, like a, not a frustration, but a feeling like you would get burnt out oh, with the industry from that? 1000%, 10 times more than yes. Like it's just, oh, that's why I've, I became a freelancer. Cause I was uh-huh. like being stuck in an agency and all the politics and everything. Never, my whole happiness used to be based on getting great ideas up and made. And then I was, you know, winning awards, but still miserable because if you win an award one week, there's another award show the week after. And if you've won like a silver, it's not as good as someone who's won a gold. If you've won a gold, <laughs> it's not as good as someone who's won the Grand Prix. If you win a Grand Prix, it's not as good as the guy who won the titanium. And it's yeah. just this never ending competitive thing. So I kind of just went, I need to stop basing my happiness on my work, on my paid work. So that's when I started to activate all these sort of side projects. So I've always had all these side ideas. I've never done anything with them. And you just can't do them when you're in an agency. Well, I, I felt I couldn't because you just, 
you're working 60 hours a week and it's so yeah. intense in an agency. You, by the time you get home, you're just like, I'm done. So no more ideas. That's, that's interesting. Like if you were to become an agency owner, how would you think about preventing that burnout? Because this is something that I think about in a, a new young agency is, um, and you know, you look at tech companies and the way they integrate things like uh, Google's got like spend 20% of your time on projects you're passionate about. Yep. So I guess I'm curious, like if you logically were opening a business and allowing people to, to prevent that burnout, how would you think about it? I would say four days a week and yeah, spend that day doing stuff for yourself. Definitely. Okay. But as a side thing, I would never open an agency myself. <laughs> I'm, I'm having too much fun having none, none of those responsibilities and just making things happen and trying to get projects up on the go. So, but I, I'm, I say to a lot of young, young kids, if you can find, you need to find the time for yourself. Don't base all your efforts in your day-to-day job because you need to have things that you can personally have passion for. Yeah. And now because of the internet, if you have that passion and a, great idea you can make stuff happen which is really exciting which probably you couldn't do 15 20 years ago but you can now like everyone can attach themselves to an amazing worldwide cause and you don't even need to have a client if you just want to do something that you're passionate about just make it happen and you know i just think that's really exciting that and, and if i was running a company i'd say you need to have that time you need to do that in fact if you don't do that I'm going to be asking what's wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, cause that, it's, it's saying that um, my co-founder and I creative director were talking about is, you know um, I mean, it's, it's hard now when we're as young as we are and as new as we are. But I, I, I remember putting it in uh, our handbook and saying like, I want staff to have a day to work on things they're passionate about. And she's like, you can't do that right now <laughs> because things are still young, but you know, like, uh, there's there's definitely some room in there for that, and even if you align it with stuff that's being done internally at the agency, there's there's definitely a way for people to get. I don't know. I just I find that having been in large corporates, burnout is like a massive massive issue, mm. and yeah. uh, it's it's there's something so much you've got to work against. Yeah, it's just constant pressure. There's never there's always work. Mm. Like there will never not be work. If that yep. makes sense, I feel like it's just got to make time for it. Yeah. Um, well, it's also, I think, I feel like, like particularly in all big agencies, like that's so much of a grind of so many hours, but your the work that you're trying to do is trying to appeal to people. So if you don't have a life outside of advertising, you're going to be doing ads to ad people. And that's the worst sort of advertising because what's the point? Like, like it's like all out of all, you know, I've won all these awards. The only award that anyone ever cares about outside of advertising is the Gruen award. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only award my kids care about is the one that's the plastic thing. And that's the <laughs> best one because it's outside of an advertising forum where people are just so focused on ads and what has and hasn't been done. If you just do stuff that's like I say to, to young creatives, I say aim for achievements, not awards because achievements last forever. Awards are like that. There's one every three weeks. Yeah. But if you like the Nikki Weimar statue, that's going to last, it's been built, it'll last for a thousand years. Like potentially it'll stand there longer than the stadium. The stadium will be knocked down a few times and the Nikki Winmar statue will still be there, which is much more exciting to me than having a statue that's six inches tall that yeah. you may have in an office. No, I would agree. I would agree with that. Is that how you originally thought of the Nikki Winmar campaign? 
Yeah, I mean, it was interesting, like when it actually got unveiled, which was just an amazing moment, it was kind of around the same time as the Khan Advertising Awards. And so my <laughs> LinkedIn was full of people talking about so humbled and honored to win this silver, win this gold at Khan. I'm like, oh, I only got a bronze, but it's a 10-foot high bronze statue of one of the most amazing moments in history, um, which is cool. But, um, but it's hard because... Um, you know, being raised in advertising, you get, it's so competitive. And even now, even then I was, I feel like I was comparing myself to people and I really, really am working so hard to stop doing that because as soon as you're comparing yourself to people, you're just becoming potentially negative or more high and mighty than someone. And that's not good. You just need to do the well, right thing. You know, you start feeding your ego more than like, I think, um, yeah. You know, the, the biggest thing to come out of the, the self-help world in the last few years is uh, focusing on improvements in like comparisons to yourself from yesterday. Yep. Because the, the biggest thing uh, in the past generations and particularly in our parents' parents' generation is looking at themselves against others. How big is your house? How big is, how nice is your car? All these sort of things that necessarily don't make you feel great in yeah. the, the long run. Yeah. Um, I listened to this uh, podcast called Secular Buddhism. don't know if you've heard of it, oh yeah. but it, it's Never really great. It. And they have some really good things. And I think there was one thing where he was talking about, Noah Rochette is the host, he's talking about there's a, there was a, a little study done where they had a picture of three kids and there was a kid in the middle who was smiling and the two kids either side of the smiling kid were unhappy, were frowning. And so they took this picture and took it to Western kids and showed it to them and said, is that kid in the middle happy? And that most of the Western kids are like, of course, he's smiling. Of course he's happy. But you take it to Eastern culture and they're like, is the kid in the middle happy? And they're like, he can't be because his friends aren't happy. I just think that it is an interesting way of looking at the world, like how Western society is all about making ourselves happy. But if we can do something that helps other people feel like, how much better is that being? Instead of just one person being happy, you could make three people, five people, a thousand people feel better about themselves and that's going to make you feel better anyway. So why don't we just do that? <laughs> why don't yeah. we help other people to help ourselves as well in a way? So put, putting, trying to put the ego back and just trying to take care of people is feels like that's the right thing to do, particularly I mean, what's happening in the world with COVID and stuff. It's so fighting each other over bloody tissue rolls and toilet paper and stuff. We need to get back to how we were when the, the bushfires were and we were so open with trying to help people. Yeah. Um, that's a much better vibe to be putting into the world, I reckon. Yeah, the psychology on COVID is super interesting. I um, well, we'll jump into right brain, brain workout in a sec. I, I guess I'm curious from your perspective, you know, you've been working from home, nothing much in terms of the way that you're working has changed. The kids are home now more, obviously. Um. Uh, how do you perceive this whole thing? I mean, I, I could ask you for sound grabs, but, you know, I guess I'm curious as to what do you think the next uh, the next few months looks like? Do you feel that life will change quicker as opposed to this being some drawn-out thing? What What's sort of your overall gut feel on where things are going at the moment? I feel like, when the restrictions come down within a few weeks, it'll just be back to exactly how it was. I just, it just feels like that. Um, I feel like there is a big opportunity for it to not go that way, but I just think people default to what they're used to. So it's just, it is an interesting time. Like I've, I've found it interesting, like as a freelancer, 
like a lot of agencies, bigger agencies in the past when they said, oh, you know, can you come into the office? I'm like, no, I, I work from home. I work from, I work from Burundara <laughs> Library in the Mills and Boone section. And they're like, no, no, you need to come in. I'm like, no, no, I work better when I've, I've sort of organized myself. And they're like, no, no, we can't have you in. But then they were all forced to do it. I think a lot of companies saw it's actually really, really sometimes really good for creative people because, you know, in a, in a creative agency, you don't have an office anymore. But to think of stuff, you need to have some time where you're not distracted and you're not disturbed and you're just sometimes piss farting around. But doing it in your own mind is you need that space. You just mm. don't get that in an agency anymore. Like I know a lot of great creatives I work with, when they want to go think of ideas, they have to get out of the agency. They just can't do it. So I'm wondering if some that might actually be beneficial for creative agencies to have this time where people have been working from home, they might. We might get the office back. Yeah. <laughs> that, well, that would be a good change. That, that to me has been the, like, it's sort of accelerated things that were already happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I've been really fascinated by studies where they sort of, they've mic'd up uh, common areas or common desk seating areas to closed offices mm-hmm. and looked at productivity. And in a lot of cases, I feel like Apple in their workplaces hit the nail on the head. You've got uh, closed areas for teams or individuals Mm -hmm. and then common areas for wider groups. So it gives that space for people to get deep work done, but also cross pollinate ideas across different teams. Um, So yeah, I feel like people are going to be, well, commercial real estate's got a bit of a reckoning coming, I think in the next year. I remember when, uh, when was the first lockdown? It was March to mid-May. Yep. Remember, it's because it sort of crossed over near my birthday. And about a week or so after, we went to go look at a new office space. Because uh, at the moment, we're still working out of a, a studio just on the side of my house uh, in East Melbourne. And people, I don't know, like commercial real estate people are just delusional mm. as to like pricing of rent and, and all that. And yep. it was just like, I remember one was... Like in the center of the city was like three grand for 20 square meters or something ridiculous, like barely enough space for two, two or yeah. three people. Yeah. Um, and it didn't include all your other things like utilities and stuff like that. So yeah, I think, uh, I feel like the biggest thing that's going to happen from this is the way that we work. How many of us in agency land are going to, I guess, allow creatives to be purely based at home and then come in, for common common time or common areas in uh, in the workplace, that'll be quite interesting. Yeah, just coming in when you need to, not just being there all the time and being stuck in traffic for an hour every morning to and from work. It's just such a waste of time and yeah. just gets people stressed out before they actually have to do work. And I, you know, when I go sometimes go into an office, I'm so much less productive than when I am <laughs> in my yeah. own space. Like, just it's not it's night and day. Well, it was really interesting chatting to Dan at the start of that COVID series that we did of these online interviews. And um, he was telling me like it feel it felt weird for him as a manager of people just not being in the office. It sort of mm. made him realize like, okay, this is really what I'm spending my day doing, you know, mm. which would give you some time to pause and reflect, I guess. Yeah, it also, I guess it depends on the role you have because if you're like in account service, you probably need to have meetings oh, and yeah. talking to clients and stuff. But as a creative, 
just, yeah, you just need your own space. But I mean, also, I mean, I've always, a lot of the time I just work on my own. I'm not yeah. like a midweight creative team who have to be a writer and art director and all that bouncing. Cause I've always been like, if I could just work on my own, that'd be ideal. <laughs> that'd be the <laughs> so, best. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I've been social distancing my whole life. So this is nothing new for me. So 2016, you were the 16th most awarded copywriter in the world. Uh, highest ranked in Australia, I think. Um, now obviously independent for about two years. Uh, how, how similar is it to being in an agency uh, and how different is it to being in an agency? Uh, it's completely different to being in an agency. I'm so much happier because I was never good at the politics bit and I couldn't hide my disdain for people who I thought were not uh, doing the right thing. Oh. Um, so I can now be on my high and mighty horse on my own and not offend anybody. Uh, so yeah, it's so much better. I've got so much time to do all the other things that I'm really passionate about, which just I yeah, couldn't do in an agency. Mm-hmm. So I'm really funny. I like, yeah, you know, I like chalk and cheese. I'm just like, I'm, and I love cheese. So that's good. Uh, <laughs> and I get to have a lot of cheese every day, probably too much nowadays. <laughs> do you, what sort of the highs and lows of working for yourself now? Well, I guess the highs is being able to do lots of all those different things and having the time to pour passion into some of the things like Nikki Winmar, Future Landfill, the book, uh, setting up a podcast. I've got all these other projects on the go at the moment. And the lows is like when COVID hit for a month, there was just no work whatsoever at all. Uh, so that was not ideal, but because of that, I went all, I've got time now to activate a whole bunch of other things. So I started making other things. So I guess turn, turn those bads into a good, you know, well, what, one of those was the podcast. Um, what's your assessment on the format so far or the, the medium so far now that you've started creating yourself? Yeah. I mean, I, I like just chatting to interesting people. So that's why I'm happy, lo- loving having a chat with you about this. Uh, I just like it talking to people about creativity because the podcast is all about just talking to people about creativity and how to be more creative just to help people who maybe think they're not creative when all the research says that we are all creative, but we just lose it. Uh, we get it all taught out of us as we become adults, which is a bit sad. Yeah, And as we know, with robots and AI coming, we kind of need to stay ahead of that and that humanness of creativity is our key, our key differentiator from everything else. So, yeah, I think it's really, I think it's really interesting. Um, yeah. I've, I notice, I feel like that microphone looks new uh, <laughs> and it made me think like, have, has he got gas yet, which is gear acquisition syndrome? No, not no. I'm not a big tech. No, this is. Oh, yeah. I did the first few, and it sounded like I was in a bathtub inside the Titanic. So I thought oh, I better better get something that makes me sound less like an idiot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's going it's going good. One thing I don't know if Dan's teasing me or sort of um, complimenting. Every time he comes in for a new interview each year or every nine months or whenever it is, we've gotten some new equipment that <laughs> makes the production value just go that little bit higher. Yeah. Oh, but it that looks beautiful. That is, it's a problem, uh, but also like it is very fun yeah. when you when you get into this space. Like all the all the cool different things that you um that you can get into. Where do you sort of see the the podcast going? How do you want to develop it? Has your perspective changed since you started it? Yeah, I've just started started interviewing people who are in non creative roles, getting their perspective. Who mm-hmm. think they're in non creative roles and trying to help people realize that they are creative. 
And I've also got a few different formats. I actually did one um, yesterday, which was uh, quite funny, where I just asked uh, questions from the Right Brain Workout. Just right. I, I do a section of, on the podcast where I ask a question from the book and the answers are always like amazing. So I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to, to do that just as a whole episode, just asking these questions. So I had a, I had a, a creative director, a novelist, and a comedian on yesterday just answering these questions and it was hilarious. So I've actually got grand, grand designs to maybe develop that into a TV show or something. So I'm sort of going to try, <laughs> yeah. try, try that a few different ways. Cause it's just funny. Like I, I kind of, what was the little sub I had like a, it's the only game show where there's no wrong answer. So everyone wins. So that's what, and that's what's good about creativity. Like you can't get it wrong. You just come yeah. up with stuff and just go for it, you know? Well, that, that had me thinking because I was, I was like, how could he take this format um, from here? I mean, the obvious thing is uh, obviously with this book, you just finished the second edition. So the, yep. I think the questions have been updated. For those who haven't seen it or read it, it's essentially a book that has around 70 questions yep, ten, that you and Russell... Weeks. Yeah. Yep. Um, Russell Howcroft have sort of crafted to, um, I guess, push back at this supposed creative deficit in Australia. Um, I mean, some of the questions are golden. Like uh, if clay was discovered to be a new superfood, what would it be renamed for consumers? And I had me thinking like, wouldn't it be interesting if he would just, he was just doing like a Vox pop or like a door stopping thing down on like South bank. Like back when things are back to normal, yeah. you know, yeah. and you're just sort of walking down and you just, ju- you just go jump in front of people and just ask them these random questions and see what the initial response would be. Yeah. I'd love funny. to see like, something like that. I actually asked that question uh, yesterday on the, on the show. Cause what's interesting about the book as well, which is not just me and Russell come up with questions. Every question is written by a different creative person. And so you can read the question and then you can flick to the back of the book and see who wrote that question, which is kind of, it can almost psychoanalyze the question. You can psychoanalyze the person who wrote it because like a sound person has often written a question about sound or art director's written about design or it's, uh, you know, it's just interesting um, to get all these different creative people to write questions and yeah, just people can come up with creativity when they don't think they're creative and they are, it's, which is really awesome. People yeah, need to realize that. It's really interesting because I just read, uh, I'd never read it because I'd never been in the industry, but um, a fellow agency owner said, you have to read the copy book. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen yep. that. I think it's I by that Tashins. on my shelf just over yeah, there. Yeah. Yep. Brilliant book. And it, all it is is really just like a combination of thoughts from uh, some of the best like creative directors and writers yep. in the industry. Yeah. And uh, it makes a lot of sense. You sort of crowdsourcing uh, a really good idea for, for a book, if you think about it, why, why yeah. do you think it was necessary to write the book? What made you uh, think I've got to do this thing? Because I, f- I see um, the creativity in my kids and I see so many people who you can just tell they don't think they're creative. Like people say, Oh, I'm not creative. Like that's the first reaction when you talk about creativity. And I feel like I looked at looking at the, um, the top four exports that Australia have, it's all stuff being pulled out of the ground. And that's obviously got a finite life and we're going to be as a country, we'll be left behind if we're not creative and all the, I just also think creativity is fun and we yeah. need more fun in our life. Like we, we're so analytical. We're so, we've got mortgages to go. We've got bills to pay. Don't do that. Don't do the, do it this way. We need more freedom and more joy in our life. And that's why I think that's why I like about creativity beyond commercial creativity and just pure creativity is that it can just be anything. And yeah. you can create something that has never been created ever anywhere in the universe. 
how amazing is that? And you can do it like that. So, uh, so, so the book was just to help prompt people to get reconnect with that um, yeah. and have that bit of extra joy and put some positive vibes into the world. That was also half the reason I just thought we need some good vibes in the yeah. world and just people doing a bit of mindfulness as well. Just that's why we did it as a book first up because you it even says get a pen or a pencil. So you have to actually go old school. <laughs> you can't, <laughs> and you know what it. I mean? Yeah. And Cause there's all the research around if you write something down, it has a stronger effect on your brain. Yeah. So there's all, there's lots of reasons. And Russell uh, Howcroft, who you mentioned, he actually did a speech about Australia needing a creativity commission because of all those reasons. So I basically just said to Russell, because he, he used to be a boss of mine back in the day. And I just mm. kept hassling him until we had breakfast and I actually got um, like sample copies of the book printed to show to him. And he was like, Oh, I love this. And within a week we're the, the, the CEO of Penguin signing a book deal, uh-huh. um, which is pretty cool. So, cause it just felt as soon as people hold the book, they go, Oh, this is cool. And I just think, it just felt like we needed something like that. So yeah, just, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a problem that like a lot of different people I've spoken to are very aware of. Mm. And I feel like, you know, obviously government is a bureaucracy that takes uh, generations or decades to catch up to where the general economy and the public is. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like COVID though has really accelerated the idea that Australia is really way too reliant on outside sources. Um, and as putting the this topic like front and center. And so there's many different ways that people are approaching it. It sort of seems that you guys, with the knowledge that you have, has just have approached the problem in the way that you can start to, you know, fix it in some way. And that is by being creative and literally creating a book. Yeah, um, little by little, in. you know, just yeah. little by little. It's all, we can't snow silver bullet, but if we just can keep saying creativity, is important, which it is because I mean, everything that we all interact with every day is being created with creativity. Like uh, the, the microphone, the computers, it's all super creative. People have come up with these things. It's not just, you know, doing numbers and, and being s- serious about things. It's all created through play and joy and trying to solve a problem or coming up with new ways of thinking. That's, I mean, that's what humans do. That's why we keep doing new things because we, we are never happy. We always want to move on to the next thing. We always want to move forward because, you know, you look at a koala, they're pretty happy just sitting up there, you getting know, stoned. getting stoned on gum leaves every day, but we're not happy with that. We want to move forward and do new things and that's all through creativity. It's all mm. of it through creativity, which can be fed by our data and all those, you know, analytical things but it's always is is the output is creativity that moves humanity forward so let's do more of that i i um speaking of creativity i've been intrigued to learn about uh your creative principles i mean we've um the last few weeks we've onboarded some new staff um and i've had more time now because i'm i don't have to focus as much time on sales thinking harder about strategy ideas and the like uh you know, principally what are, what are our principles for the agency? What makes us different? You know, you look at someone like hard hat and it's about persuasion. And then you look at other agencies and, and think about like a, a King Kong, which has sort of just come onto the, the space. And it's all about direct, direct sales. That's, that's their whole shtick. I guess for you, where do you see your difference in principles? What makes Alex, with Dalton, Alex? Uh, just doing good things for good people is, okay. is my sort of thing because I've worked with a lot of amazingly creative people in my career 
And some of them have not been amazingly great people. (laughs) So I no longer work with those people who aren't amazingly great people. And I think we want to do, I want to do stuff that always has a benefit for a positive benefit for the world rather than just, um, you know, selling some chips or something. I'm going to do something Mm -hmm. that hopefully uh, contributes positively to society because that's my thing. So I basically just do social good projects now because I'm passionate about that. Um, And it, you know, it pays enough money for me to have the time to do all my other social good projects, which don't pay me any money, but I love. Uh, So just trying to do stuff that, like I said, like aiming for achievements that are good for the world rather Mm -hmm. than just winning awards and stuff. Uh, what you, it's kind of my thing. What do you think crystallized that opinion? Was there a particular client project event in your life that really made you think that way? Yeah, there was when I was uh, at an agency, Cummins and Partners, they had a sports betting uh, account. Um, and I'd say nothing necessarily that wrong with sports betting. But when I got the brief, uh, the proposition that was read out was it's better to bet and lose than to not bet at all. And I'm like, I don't know <laughs> if that's necessarily a great proposition to be putting out into the world. Like that's a great vibe. Like I don't ne- think it's actually better to bet and lose than not bet at all. Uh-huh. I think that's a, pr- and I was just like, that actually made my blood boil and nobody else in the brief could see my point, uh-huh. uh, which is fine. They're allowed to have their own opinion, but I was just like, are you serious? Like, so, so no one in the agency, no one in, on the client side or anything? Well, like I, that? I never met the client because I said I'm not working on this, this brief wow. <laughs> because that's an evil, that is an evil proposition. So uh-huh. you, guys, you can do your sports betting brief, but I'm not going to do something where it's basically saying it's better to lose money than to not lose money, which mm. I think is just bad. So I just slowly, bit by bit, I sort of started um, coming up against things like that. And I was just like, I need to do something that, is doing positive stuff for the world. Yeah. And I just worked at a small agency, which wasn't going great. So I just started to do my own thing. Cause I was like, I'm tired of doing stuff. Even the stuff that I would sometimes do. Um, like one of the first things I did just off my own bat was this thing called one buck, one pluck. I don't know if you've heard of that. Uh, basically Rings a bell. it was for camp quality. Cause um, okay. my son has a lot of allergies. So we spent a lot of time in hospital. Uh, he's like anaphylaxis anaphylactic to wheat, rye, barley and nuts and all these sort of things. So we'd be in hospital a lot and it was like three o'clock in the morning at the Royal Children's one day. And I was feeling sorry for myself going so unfair that our son has got this, me and my wife, our son has got all these allergies. And then I saw a a mum wheeling along the like six-year-old kid with no hair and like a 30 centimeter scar on the head. And I'm like, well, at least it's not brain cancer. Like we can manage the allergies. So I just had this idea in my head at that time, literally at that moment, it's like I could do this thing called one buck, one pluck, where for every hair, um, where every dollar someone donated, I'd pluck one hair out of my head. <laughs> and I thought I'd do it for camp quality because a few years earlier, my son had been, they'd been trying to get blood out of him when he was like 10 months old. And out of nowhere, uh, someone from camp quality just appeared with one of those wands, they're like rainbow that are sparkly and uh-huh. it just stopped him crying because they just, it was a, like a, a young nurse who couldn't get the cannula in and then all of a sudden he's, he laid still and put it in. So I was just like, camp quality are amazing. Let's yeah. try and raise money for camp quality because they help, you know, kids with cancer and stuff go, you know, laughter is the best medicine. Uh-huh. And so I did, did this idea and I started to, to promote it. I, um, every time someone donated money, I would film 
myself plucking the hair out and then send the video back to them <laughs> just to sort of spread the word. And it got a bit of news and it got on the, on, you know, Herald Sun and a few radio interviews and stuff. And we raised a bunch of money. And then um, I asked the agency I was working for, you know, do you think you would donate some money to the cause? And they're like, nah, we want to enter into awards though. I'm like, well, okay, if you're going to enter it into awards, would you match the amount of money that you're donating, that you're spending on the awards for this charity? Would you match that in donations? And they're like, nah, we won't do that. And I'm like, all what? the money that you're <laughs> spending on entering into awards could be going to a charity and actually helping people. Isn't that yeah. not the better thing to do? Well, that, so, that, which that, was, that's, that's, that's the battle of at working at agency because awards are so important for all their KPIs and stuff. But I just think for the betterment of the world, I'm like, if it's a charity campaign, just give the money to the charity. Yeah. <laughs> but I would have thought that in, if I am an agency, yes, awards matter, but wouldn't the overtness of a campaign like that be more valuable for bringing in awareness of the brand? Well, that's what I would have thought as well. So it's just, that's the sort of thing with agencies that I find that they're so focused on a lot of them winning awards that the actual whether it worked or not is secondary sometimes. Yeah, because I, I, I would th- I would think as a business and a, as a buyer of marketing and ideas, it wouldn't like who gives a shit about the ideas? What like because that doesn't mean you're going to perform the same for them. Mm. You can come; they could come to you with a terrible idea that's not going to win awards. Who cares? Mm. Like the awards for the agency, not the client. It's yeah. sort of like this mismatched. It's sort of like the funds management industry, how it gets mismatched over time. And then you get organizations like Vanguard that crop up where they're just like, well, you know, here it is. It's, it's pretty much, you get access to this thing anyway, and it's cheaper for you. Mm-hmm. And it costs like a 10th of the price of what you'd pay this fund manager or, or whatever to, to manage your money in the market. I, I've never understood that having not come from uh, the industry, this obsession with awards. Well, um, I also think from what I can tell, like awards are as well are a good way to um, reward people without having to pay them more money potentially. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I'm not sure because I've, I've never got into that position where I was a big ECD at a place because I, like, I can't do all the politics. It's not me. I, don't, like, I was not a great per, uh, person manager. I just okay. like, I like coming up with the ideas and that's the weird thing in advertising that often the greatest creatives get uh, promoted to a position where they're in meetings they're all the time. On it. <laughs> they're, yeah. not, they're not doing the ideas anymore. I'm like, feel like that's a waste. So I felt like I was wasting my time pretending that I was a people manager and I was yeah. bad at it. So I'll stop doing that and I'll just work for myself. Well, I had a sense um, that's how you felt because if you look at like your rise, you know, you worked as a copywriter, copywriter, then you became a sort of associate uh, creative director, then creative group head. I think that time at DDB may have been the time where you worked out that managing people may not be for you because after that, when you're at GPATS, it goes to senior writer. Mm -hmm. And sort of, I was thinking then and there like, okay, he's as an ideas guy, this makes a lot of sense. That might've been the inflection point where he realized, actually, I just don't like being an executive. I just really like working on ideas. Yeah, that's what I really like doing. But then you still end up getting promoted above <laughs> above what you want to do. But you because that's you kind of just playing the game. Like that's what you you yeah yeah 
you know, yes, there's, stuck not, in the there's, system. Not, there's not many 50-year-old senior writers going around. Like if you're not an ECD, you're going to be stuffed. And I kind of could see that I wasn't great at it. Um, so I, that's why I decided to sort of take a step out of big agencies and stuff and try and do my own thing. So I would build my own brand that's slightly left of centre of doing a typical advertising career, I guess, and try and activate social good causes and projects and stuff that I'm passionate about because that'll make me different to other people. But also, more importantly, I enjoy it and I'm probably better at it than doing all that stuff because I believe deeply in the, the things I work in now rather than I've got this brief, I'm getting paid with all this money, I better do this thing even if I don't really have a passion for it. But you have to. You have to mm-hmm. get on with it because you're getting paid money to do it. So you've got to do it. I um, I want to jump to, because I notice a lot of the things about your biggest campaigns, particularly the future landfill campaign is, I guess I'd say the overtness of it. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're often very thought provoking. I don't know if there's, there's like an element of comedy peppered in it, but in most cases, like they're striking. So I guess for you where they're overarching persuasive principles that you've always thought about integrating into well, campaigns. I think is if you like the, the future landfill thing, like it, it could have been very easy to just be really angry and uh, shocking with stuff, but we decided to make it look beautiful then with the dark sinister undertones. So I think there's mm-hmm. always, it's the old sugar coating something. So that's what I feel like I'm quite good at is coming up with things that people will want to pay attention to and then they'll have a look at it and then I'll start to think about it a bit more deeply. So I try to do things where it's not all immediately obvious like that. It's something you have to get your attention, but then draws you in and you have to start thinking. So that's the key to the things that I that I like to do now is just make people think rather than spoon feeding everything. I think because yeah. if, if you get people thinking about it, then that it's a two-way deal rather than just being yelled at and going browbeaten. You must think this. No, no, here's an idea. Do you believe in it? You have a think about it. And I feel like it's going to be more powerful because then people will have buy-in to an idea that maybe they might not have been interested in if you'd have just presented it in a way that wasn't beautiful or it wasn't funny or it didn't have mm. that sort of depth to it. So I like to try and do something with a bit of a bit of depth in it. Um, and because often the client is me <laughs> or my <laughs> mates, we can do the we can do it properly. And I found that's been interesting when we've just done these projects, how successful they've been without spending millions of dollars, like often more successful than projects I've done where they've spent hundreds yeah. of thousands and millions of dollars because we've been able to keep it pure and hasn't been, oh, can you just change this? Can you just change that? Can you just change that? And by the time you've done that three or four times, it's just like it's a shell of an idea and it's just a waste of time. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I think with the future landfill campaign, right, it costs you 35 bucks for the domain and yep. then uh, basically just your time. Yeah, basically, exactly. Yeah. And just working with amazing people who are into it, who I trust and respect, who I've worked with before. It was so cool. Like, you know, Tom Whitty is a genius who I met through going to a, my wife put me up to go on a panel at Australian Film, Television and Radio School, oh, a right. writer's panel. So I met Tom Whitty, who was then the managing editor of the project. And now, then he was EP of uh, Australia Talks, which was on last year on ABC TV. He's a genius. So we just hit it off. So I'd talk with him photographer Stu Morley who I work with I met through Tom as well uh you know retouches and stuff who I've worked over my career just people you just gather these people over your time if you just are open to interesting people and interesting things 
If um if you were to think about the leaders that you respected when you first got into this industry, and this may have been people that primarily you were reading about, mm-hmm. to the people now that you respect, uh, who are they? And the, the example I might use for myself is like, um, I was fascinated by propaganda, mm-hmm. grow, like at uni. I was just, I was just like, wow, this is a, um, a thing, right? And then you read about people like Edward Bernays, um, you'd read some of the work of Noam Chomsky, um, and you start to get an idea as to how messaging works, but then you actually start to find people that, uh, you know, are living the here and now and and how they go about that. So I guess for you, how did that change over time? Where did it start and where has it sort of come to now? Well, I guess it, I started getting in, in into this industry, all of my creative heroes were probably advertising people. So right. just because I would go look through the copy book and go, oh, there's David Abbott, there's Paul Arden and there's all these people. But now... <laughs> None of my heroes are in advertising at all, at all. Yeah. Like they're so far, all my heroes are now, you know, people like Tom Whitty and, and people I deal with like Darby Hudson is an amazing poet. I think he's so incredible. My wife is a hero for me because she's opened my mind up to seeing that the universe is where the, you need to align the right energy in the universe because I was always so competitive in advertising because advertising is so competitive and that competition is bad for creativity. So I've changed from being having creative heroes in advertising to definitely much broadening my horizons into lots of people who are doing lots of different things. I thought, I think are really interesting. I mean, obviously you talk about your Elon Musk type people who's clearly a complete nutter and a megalomaniac, (laughs) but I mean, all the interests are so completely different. I just think that's so amazing. You know, Uh, I just think people who don't just do one thing, I think are really good. Like I like to do lots of different things. People who have got multi-talents, I think that's really interesting because then you're also, you're so you're more interesting because you've got lots of things to talk about. Like I'm terrible at networking, but if really? I can talk about, I talk talking about ideas is my networking. So it's not um, about me. It's talking about something that could be cool. I can talk about that forever, you know? Yeah. I, I think, um, I think you're right about having people that you look up to that are outside of the industry. I mean, that is life. That's mm. what makes someone good at advertising. I've never really had people specifically in the industry that I've uh, modeled myself on apart from people that I try to talk to day to day. It's funny you mentioned Elon. I think the other day he said he wanted to ca- uh, fight Johnny Depp in a cage match. <laughs> <laughs> which was uh, He's having a good time. He's having a good old time. Uh, that's for sure. Um I want to jump back to agency structures because I want to be a bit selfish about how we build our own agency and learn from your own experience as someone who is a a creative and became frustrated with the structures of those businesses. Um, who do you think like in that type of organization is the the true quarterback today? Is it the strategist or is it the creative director or the writer who uh, or is there any one person that you think teams should be modeled or molded around? Well, I think, I think it needs to be the creative director type person because everything that we produce needs to be creative in the end. No one's ever going to know what the strategy was. No one's ever going to know how good the account servicing was if the idea that gets made at the end isn't any good. So mm-hmm. I think you need to be led by the creative director and you need to have a creative director who's who's very empathetic, who doesn't uh, tell people exactly what to do. 
like my, my favorite creative director was Ben, Ben Coulson. Because okay. it's interesting. A lot of people who worked in account service and strategy and stuff, not big fans of Ben Coulson when I was working with him because he wasn't really around that much and he didn't ever work day to day on stuff, but he would, you know, what's that thing they call the helicopter view, that old stereotype voice. Like he was that because he would not be around that much when you saw him and you gave him an idea, he would think about every idea really deeply and go, maybe you could do this. Maybe you could do that and always improve it. Whereas a lot of creative directors would, you give them ideas and they'd be like, Mm, next, mm, next. Uh, maybe you just need to work a bit harder. I'm like, well, that's not helpful. <laughs> so just uh, having a CD who's empathetic and thinks about I- every idea can set the tone for doing great work. Um, but yeah, it's hard because yeah, I'd never really super fit in to an agency. I don't, I don't think. Um, so I just think, yeah, if, if it's not being led by a creative person, I think you know, your work's never going to be, as good as it could be. And I think, you know, no matter how good you, I don't know what's CRM and all those sort of things. Like I want to be able to talk to people and say this week we made this and they're like, Oh, that thing's really cool. I love it. Rather than we were able to achieve, we meet these KPIs. I'm like, I'm not interested in that stuff. I want to do stuff that people go, Oh, that's interesting. I want to talk about that because it's got some depth again, depth. So yeah. I think you need to have depth um, and in, in your leader and about, it's not just about, doing necessarily what the client wants, but it's doing what's the right thing. Mm. Um, and that can sometimes be a difficult conversation because sometimes clients are very specific on what they want. Sometimes that's not the right thing. And that's why you've hopefully got an agency because otherwise that's why I was always in agencies. Like why do you, why does this client even bother having us as an agency? Just do it yourself. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, they could save a lot of money if they did it themselves sometimes. But so you just need to have people that can help, people understand that doing something really interesting is going to be, uh, is, is a good thing. From your perspective, you've worked as an independent, but you've also worked at independent local agencies and the big network based agencies. Yep. Um, I mean, for me, it's sort of obvious that the differences are the networks offer scale and they have the best clients and, uh, independents often have the room to come up with these great ideas. I don't know if that's just an assumption on my part, but what do you sort of see as the key value of independence? Uh, I guess hopefully being able to do things that the big ones can't because sometimes the big agencies have all these clients that preclude them from potentially doing stuff that's good for the world sometimes Mm. um, because they'll have, uh, you know, yeah, a big client that is a petrol station. So they can't ever, they would never be able to do future landfill, for example, because you can't say you're, you know, stand for the environment when you have your petrol as one of your main clients, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so perhaps that's maybe that's the sort of thing that, but also you can hopefully offer something that's maybe more localized um, and specific, I think, because sometimes big agencies get caught up in, I've got the New York, have, we have to answer to New York and they want all these awards. So come on boys let's, and girls, let's get the award, award, award ideas happening now. Mm. Um, so maybe, maybe something like that. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I thought it'd be around ideas because of my pers- perspective as an outsider is that a lot of the time, uh, some of the craziest ideas come from independence because they're not restricted. Mm. Um, and they're not, I guess, yeah, they're, they're, they're not as restricted as others based on the accounts that they're working on. Mm. 
I um, think that, but that's the thing. There's so many amazing people working in big agencies. Like just, there's so many talented people. And I just wish it's like big agencies would allow them to sometimes have the time to do stuff that isn't for one of their clients. Cause mm-hmm. I can just imagine some of the solutions that would become out coming up to these problems. They would do for, for could be amazing. I just would love people to not have to work 60, 70 hours a week in a big agency <laughs> and just have enough time to put some of their genius into other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can see, I mean, that's sometimes some of the ideas that come out of big agencies, for, you know, social good is uh, often amazing uh, ideas. Um, but, yeah, just then if you were an independent, then maybe you could work on it for years longer and make it a real thing rather than an agency. You're probably onto the next thing already. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, like with the book, I've been able to do a book in an agency. If you do a book, you probably do it and that's done. And you, you've got, got to do another thing where I'm like, well, this can be my career path is developing this as a book, as a workshop, as a thing, as it can grow on and bigger and bigger and help more and more people. So perhaps as an independent, you've got that ability to maybe go a bit deeper potentially. Yeah. Well, that's the thing I liked about um, what you've done with the right brain work. I was just reading this book, actually. I've got to update my notes, Perennial Seller by Ryan Holdo. Um, and it's really interesting how he talks about the creatives that continue to develop this uh, idea. Let's call it the right brain workout as a book, an audio book, a program, this, that, and it becomes better and better over time. Mm. And that makes you a perennial well-known creative because you're perfecting this thing. Yeah. Um, you know, he was talking about how, because a lot of the work he does now is with authors because now he's like a, a marketer who writes books, right? So he's mm. well, worked with Stephen King and a few others on, on book releases. And it's really interesting about how like uh, he always talks about the, you just got to get on to the next thing, whether it's the yep. next iteration of the right brain workout or whatever. Yeah, you've um, always got to be improving stuff. You can never rest on your laurels. That's for sure. Of, co- of course. Yeah. 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 Um, I think this whole COVID period has given me a lot of time to think about strategy in the future. And I think it's given, it's given a lot of people the time to think about what that looks like for themselves. You said before, uh, the first probably month or so work would have vanished into thin air. So mm-hmm. how have you started to think about your future? What does the next sort of decade look like for you? Well, it's all hopefully based around turning the right brain workout into much more than a book. So we're talking about hard hat, and Dan Monheit, sort of, we're trying yeah. to develop it as a digital version. So it would use all the, the, the uh, technical abilities of a phone and using that to unlock all those things in creative to try and do that. Um, yeah, trying to do a podcast, got TV show ideas, got all sorts of ideas to try and be beyond. Like I really like working on advertising and social good things, but I would hopefully like to be in 10 years time kind of, just being seen as the guy, oh, he's the right brain workout guy. We need to get uh-huh. his help on unlocking this thing for the, the world in some way. So I'm trying to get to a point where people are kind of coming to me for my expertise rather than just being another creative person coming up with ideas. So I've kind of want to do something that has a bigger impact. It's kind of hopefully trying to have a good uh, example to my kids that, you know, you can, try and do something that's good for the world and, you know, enjoy doing it um, yeah. and put something good into the world. Yeah. Well, I, when this uh, idea flourishes into some sort of course or program, whatever you develop it into, I'm, I'm sure Dan or yourself will hit me up 
yeah. uh, to try well, it out. We've just started doing <laughs> workshops. So we actually did one for PWC uh, okay. uh, three weeks ago. Then we did another one with 500 people at PWC just as tests. So it's all seemed right. positive. So we're going to start to uh, start to actually offer that to the public coming up in the next hopefully a month or so because you can just do it. You can do it via the internet and stuff. So we worked on that quite, quite hard to make that start to happen so we can help people just everyday people or companies or agencies or whoever just to think a bit more creatively and have some fun in their day, you know? Mm. Um, all right. I'm going to jump, jump into some rapid fire questions for you to finish things off. Now, during this whole lockdown period, uh, Things have obviously changed, but some things may have become more permanent. Uh, what has sort of been your go-to item in the fridge uh, over this whole period? Cheese, always cheese. What type? Um, well, I have all sorts of different types. Feta is my favorite. Feta with some cashew nuts. Oh, okay. my God. It's my, it's my downfall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say cheese as well. I've been uh I've been getting back into Gouda and Jarlsberg. Oh, okay. Yeah. Some um, old school stuff. Yeah, some old school yep. stuff. If you were to think of sort of something under two hundred dollars that you purchase before or during the period that's helped you a lot during lockdown, what would it be? Um we have a think. And it can't be AirPods. No, no, I haven't got any parts. I'm still on, still tethered. Uh, under two hundred dollars. What would I bought? Oh, I have to have a think about that. Um, what about your microphone? Yeah, I was going to say the microphone, but it has it has been really. I was thinking that holding it because it's right in my hand, but it has helped with the podcast and just learning about that stuff's been interesting. But even just my um my um training runners because I do a lot of gym workouts and stuff. So having some decent runners has been good instead of my shoes that I've owned for six years that are falling apart. So that's been helpful. Yeah, I need to get some new runners. I feel like mine are like three years old now. Yeah. I'm not a runner, yep. so I don't uh, they don't get worn down too too easily. Um, oh, no, I've actually thought of something. I have thought what? of something. Sorry for that long delay. <laughs> uh, I've never liked tea and tea bags, okay. but my wife has discovered this tea that's like, your tea you actually put in a spoon and put in a strainer. Yeah. Change my life. I now love tea. I'll have like six cups of tea now, a day nowadays. What, what type of tea? It's called, it's just like, it's the it's different ones. It's called the Slim by Nature is the, is the brand. It's like a detox type tea, but it's just got herbs and stuff in it. And it's amazing. It's changed my life. It's amazing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Last question for you. If you were to think of a, uh, a doco, a movie, a TV show you've been watching during this period, what would you, what would you recommend and why? Ozark, always Ozark. Yeah. So good. Just there's everything about it is amazing. It's so dark. It's so well acted. It's so well made. It's just brilliant. Uh, uh, it's just amazing show. Oh, when did the second season come out? Uh, I think up to the third season now. I oh, saw so the third, the latest third, season. Yeah, it came out. It came out during lockdown. I during think. lockdown, that's yeah, right. I think it did. Yeah, because I remember we we probably watched that within a week. Yeah, like it's it was amazing. done within a week. It's a yeah. very, very good show. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, look, Alex, thanks for coming on. That's okay. No worries. Where, thanks for having where me. can people find you and what you're doing on the interwebs? Uh, you just Google me on LinkedIn. Do you Google people <laughs> on LinkedIn? Just Alex Vilton or brightbrainworkout.com.au or stuffbyalexwadelton.com uh, has all my strange ideas up there. 
Yeah. And I just wanted to say as well, I feel like I've maybe bagged a bit on advertising. I don't mean to do that, <laughs> but because it, it's, it's given me so much in my life and it is such a great industry, um, but I've just sort of moved on a little bit because uh, I, can, I could see, I could see that there's not many 50-year-old uh, creative people who aren't ECD. So I, need, I, I was actually thinking I need to do something that makes me get out of the machine because I don't, I'm not great in the machine. So I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to get there. But all you add people, you're all amazing. Don't, don't worry about that. Uh, but I'm well, not necessarily as, as good at um, surviving in a big agency as a lot of people are. Do you, do you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I remember uh, through all the people I've interviewed in the industry, everyone has that sort of love-hate relationship with the industry. Mm. And I remember, I remember texting Dan like uh, the other week, because we're on some pitch and I said, fuck, I love this industry and I fucking hate it. (laughs) Like it's just, it's one of these things that um, it's both wild and painful. Yeah. It's lots of ups and downs. Like, like I think like there's no better feeling than coming up with an idea. You're just like, yes, that's awesome. And then three days later it's in front of the client and you're just like, I hate, oh, this is the worst. (laughs) This is the worst. And then the next day you're like, I've come up with another idea. That's amazing. You're like that all the time, which is a good thing. But eventually I was just like, I like to make the things that I thought thought were great rather than not getting them made. (laughs) And I think that that's the same thing that Ethan said. Um, Eventually it does. It can wee down certain types of people at least. Um, Look, we'll, we'll make sure we link everything. Alex, thank you so much for coming on. I'm glad uh, Dan was able to make the intro. He's a good man. And uh, he's a very good man. And uh, thanks for coming on. No worries. Oh, I forgot to mention the Right Brain Warm Up is my podcast as well. The so Right Brain Warm Up. That's there it. There you go. So we'll make go. sure we link all that. But awesome. um, Alex, Watto, thanks for coming on. <laughs> thanks for having me on, George. Thanks for listening in to this episode. If you like it, do leave us a written review on your podcast app as it helps us continue going on a weekly basis and we do love reading those reviews as well. Uh, If you want the show notes, you can find that below or with our previous guest at neural.com slash podcast. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com slash podcast. To watch the full video, search Uncommon Show on YouTube and to keep up to date with behind the scenes and clips for the show, you can find us at uncommon underscore show on Instagram. But until next time, guys, thank you so much for listening.